You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week number four in our series called Don't Limit God. Find somebody close by and just ask them real quick. Say, are you limiting God? Tell them, stop it. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't limit God. So that's what we've been endeavoring to do. Let me just, for those of you who might not have heard the beginning of this, uh, the Lord dealt with me in the latter part of 2022 about taking the limits off of him and And uh, I began rereading a book uh, that I've had for quite a while uh, called Don't Limit God by Andrew Womack. I love Andrew. He's a great man and just a great teacher of the Word of God. And uh, so this book is an awesome book. I highly recommend it. A lot of the material that we've taught from has come directly out of this book. And so if you uh, feel in your heart that you may be limiting God, which by the way, I think all of us do in some shape or form, then I encourage you, get, get a hold of this book, read it, and uh, put it in your library so that you're able to refer to it. But let's look at the foundation scripture that this series is based on. And as found in Psalm 78, verse 41, the New King James Version says this, Yes, again and again they tempted God, talking about the children of Israel. So this is something that they did over and over and over again. And then it says, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. You know, again, I think there's a misbelief in the body of Christ that God can do whatever He wants to do, when He wants to do it, however He wants to do it. He has that ability, but isn't it interesting that in this verse it says that the people, the people of Israel, boxed Him in, limited what He was able to do in their lives. And so if they, can, if they could do it back then, guess what? We can do it now through our unbelief and misbelief and disobedience and those things. Let's look at it in the Passion Translation. It says this, again and again, they limited God, and I like this little insert that the Passion puts in there, preventing him from blessing them. You know, could it be that because that we're not receiving all that God has in store for us because we're limiting him? Wouldn't you hate to show up in heaven after it's all done and the smoke is settled and dust is settled and, and uh, all of this is over and you get before the Lord and the Lord says, hey, I just want to let you know, I wanted to do so much more in your life, but you wouldn't let me. Man, I'm telling you, my goal is I want to get before the Lord at the end and be able, him be able to say, thank you for letting me do everything in your life and in your church what, what I wanted to do. I don't want to ever be the one that's holding him back. And I know that's you too. You don't want to be responsible for holding the Lord back. So the Hebrew word that's uh, translated limited in those verses, it means this, uh, restraining someone from what they can do <clears throat> because of one's own attitudes or actions. It also means causing someone, and I thought this was so interesting, discomfort or pain because of one's behavior or attitude. So what God did when he spoke this to the children of Israel, he he was telling them, hey guys, listen, I want to do so much more for you, but it pains me that you won't let me do it. 
And so I don't want to be one responsible for causing the Lord discomfort. All right? So we're going to take the limits off of God. I want to ask you a question this morning, and this uh, is going to be partially a shameless plug for our Wednesday night Bible study. We just are wrapping up a series on Wednesday night about how to win the fight over worry, how to win the battle over worry. Is there anybody in here besides me that has ever dealt with worry in your life? Okay, thank you for that honesty. Uh, I'm going to describe to you what worry is, and worry is simply this. Uh, There's a whole lot of varying definitions, but worry is this, is actually using your imagination uh, in, in the respect of your life going a certain way negatively, or maybe you're worried about loved ones or something, and it's your imagination running away from you uh, because you see their life going a certain way, and it's not good. And so what we have a tendency to do is to engage our minds and go over and over and over a situation. And when we do that, we're using our imagination and we're picturing our life going out a certain way. Let me, let me use an illustration along this line. Anybody ever knew you had to have a confrontation with someone and you knew it was the next day and so you, you dreaded that confrontation. And so if you gave in to that, you in your mind saw it going a certain way, okay? And, and so you imagined it, because let me play it out for you, okay? So this is what we do in our minds. Okay, I know I need to have this tough conversation with so-and-so. So I'm going to present it this way, whatever it is. I'm going to present it this way. And then they're going to come back with this response. And then I'm going to come back because they responded that way. I'm going to come back with this response. And so then after I come back with that response, they're going to come back a certain way. And then I'm going to come back. And so by the time it's all said and done, we have the whole scenario played out in our minds of how it's going to go. Now, here's the danger in doing that. You know what you will do is you'll set yourself up for it to go exactly like you're picturing it in your mind. Okay? Why? Because we're worried about it. We're using our imagination to picture and to worry about how that situation is going to play out. Why don't we use our imagination and and worry about it in the positive, if you will? Okay, so why don't we see it being played out to where, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up. And the Bible says in Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath. And you know what I'm going to do is is if if they're already mad and upset, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to respond out of love and and I'm going to do everything I can to minister love and peace to them. Now, here's the thing, and this is what you got to play out in your mind, that their response is not up to me. That's on them. But I'm going to stay in love. I'm going to respond in love. And so that's how you have to begin to play it out in your mind. So we have an option, and we talked about this last week, to where we can use our imagination in the negative, or we can use our imagination in the positive. Now, I don't have time to do a lot of review today, uh, but we looked at several scriptures last week where in the Old Testament, the word that's translated imagination is used several times. Matter of fact, 
In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God said this. He said that the imagination of the people, this is right before the flood, he said the imagination of people is to where they think about evil constantly. They imagine evil all the time. The, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6, you ever heard of the Tower of Babel? Okay, where the people got together and because they all spoke the same language and they, they uh, gathered together and decided that they were going to build a, a tower and the motivation for that was we want to build a tower to get to heaven. And, and so the motivation is, is we want to get to heaven our way. Not God's way, our way. So we're going to build this tower and uh, so they set out to do it. And the Bible says that God saw what they were doing. And he said this in Genesis eleven six, he said, look at what the people are doing. And he said, there is nothing that they can't do that they can imagine themselves doing. Wow. Think about that. Do you, do you understand that God said, you know, it wasn't his plan for them to do that. And he was saying that these people, by acting on their imagination, can thwart my plans for humanity. And so what he did is he said, I'm going to have to come down here and I'm going to have to confuse their language. So what he did is he confused their language and, and it caused them to be scattered. And, and can I say this to you? This is a little side note. This is free. This won't cost you anything. What God had to do was bust up their unity because they were thinking the same thing saying the same thing, seeing the same thing, and that produced unity among the people. And here's what God was saying. Because they are unified, there's nothing that they cannot accomplish. Well, let's take that in the positive. Let's put that, uh, you know, bring it up to modern day into the church age. So what that tells me is you get a body of believers that are thinking the same thing, imagining the same thing, speaking the same thing, there is nothing that we cannot, be, that we cannot accomplish. Can I get an amen? amen? So what God had to do was break it up, had to dis disrupt their unity uh, because their imagination, they were picturing themselves doing evil constantly. So he had to thwart that by confusing their languages. And so... What I want to do today, though, is I want to focus on using your imagination in the positive. Using it in the positive. Actually, can I say it this way? Using it the way God wants us to use our imagination. So let me show you what a definition of imagination is. We talked about this a little bit last week, but let me show it to you again. Imagination is this, the act or power or of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Okay, now that's real wordy because that's from Merriam-Webster. Uh, so let me give it to you in the Bradley Mullins version. And it's this, imagination is the ability to see something with our minds that we cannot see with our physical eyes. Does that make it a little more simple for you? In other words, God created us with the ability to be able to see something in our minds that we are not yet experiencing with our physical senses. And that is something, and we're going to call this a word that you've probably heard a lot, and that is hope. 
Hope is that mental image. Okay, matter of fact, write this down, please. And this is the first thing that I want us to see today, and that is this. Hope is our imagination working for us instead of against us. Now, I know what some people uh, define hope as. You ask them, uh, are, are you going out to eat today after church? Well, I sure hope so. What that means is, I wish I was. Okay? Hope does not mean I'm a wishing. All right? Hope is actually something that is very good, very necessary, and very positive that the Bible has a lot to say about. Okay? So we're going to look at hope. All right? Tell, tell somebody close by you, say, do you have your hopes up? Come on, say it like you mean it. Okay? All right? See, you need to get your hopes up. Now, the world will tell you don't get your hopes up. Okay? Hope is an expectation is one definition of it, but uh, we're going to define it uh, a little bit differently. So let's look at some scriptures, Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, and I'm going to look at it from the easy-to-read version. You know why? Because it's easy to read. Okay, so, all right, let's look at it. Verse 24, we were saved to have this hope. Now, what he's talking about is the hope that we have as believers of our future. You know, we've got a good future. No, let, let me say this to you, okay? I believe, God, with you that your quality of life here on the earth is absolutely awesome. And I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you what the Word says, and we're going to believe together for your life experience to be what God intends for it to be. But just in case that doesn't happen, you still don't lose. Come on now, think about it. I, you know, as bad as this life can possibly be, you and I have something to look forward to called an eternity in heaven. Okay? And so what Paul calls that is our hope. Now, let me ask you a question. Anybody in here, you ever seen heaven? Okay? Most of us have not. All right? So... Uh, but here's what we can do. We can go to the Bible and we can build in our imagination what heaven must be like because the Bible describes it pretty clear for us. Streets of gold, so gold, so clear, so pure that you can see through it. Gates of God's city made out of one pearl. That's a big old oyster that made that gate. All right. You don't find that kind of oyster at Captain Steve's, all right? Or Pier 51, right? <laughs> you know, I got to hit all our favorite seafood restaurants. All right, so let's go on. We were saved to have this hope. If we can see, now he begins to talk about hope itself. If we can see what we are waiting for, that is not really hope. So in other words, if you're experiencing it in the natural already, you don't need to hope for it, okay? So if you have already gone to heaven, you don't have to hope for heaven anymore. You're there. You're experiencing it. So he says, <clears throat> if we can see what we're waiting for, that is not really hope. People don't hope for something they already have. But we are hoping for something we don't have yet 
and we are waiting for it patiently. So what that tells me is this thing called hope is something God gives us to enable us to be able to have an image of something that is yet to come and we have yet to experience. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Now, I want to show you something. Over on that wall, on, right there, and over on that wall, right there, are what we call thermostats. Okay. Now, what do thermostats do? Well, thermostats, those are digital thermostats, but you, you know, those of us who, uh, we grew up old school thermostats, I know some of us had the round ones, you know, they had the little dial that you turn like that, okay? Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. That thermostat controls the temperature in your room, your house, your environment. But that thermostat does not do anything to change the temperature in your home, your environment. Why? It doesn't have that kind of power. All right? So what I want you to see is, listen to me carefully, just like a thermostat can be turned to hot or cold, our imaginations can be negative or positive, negative with a pessimistic outlook on everything, or positive, which is what the Bible calls hope. Okay, now track with me. Listen to me carefully. Hope turns on, well, let me say it this way. That thermostat turns on a unit that's outside that has a furnace and an AC unit and all that in it. That thing does not do anything to change the temperature. It just gives you access to something that does. Okay, so... What that thermostat does is the same thing hope does for us. Hope doesn't contain the power to change your life. It gives you access to what does. Okay? Now, listen to me carefully. So what is it that, that God gives us that provides the power that we connect with our thermostat in order to make some change, okay? Now, <clears throat> if, if we, well, let me just kind of skip and then I'll come back to, to what I want to say right there. Hope comes to us. Let me, let me say this. Somebody tell me real quick, how does faith come? Faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. and hearing the word. the word of God, okay? Now, I want to show you something that when you hear the word of God, actually what shows up first is hope. Okay, let's look at a scripture, Romans 15, 4. All right, everything, this again is the easy to read version. Why am I using the easy to read version? Because it's easy to read. Okay, good, y'all are sharp. All right, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, talking about the written word of God. Those things were written so that we could have, what's that next word? Hope. hope. That hope comes from the patience and encouragement that the scripture gives us. Okay? So, so what does the Bible do? When you read the scripture, it produces something and releases something in you called hope. 
Okay? So when you see that the scripture says that if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then the Bible says that you, when you breathe your last and your heart stops beating, then you step over to eternity in heaven with Jesus. Now, what that does is it produces hope on the inside of us. Now, the reason that the Bible calls that a blessed hope is, all right, let's talk about the return. How many of you know Jesus is coming back? He's coming back sooner than we think he is, okay? Now, the Bible, that's really the blessed hope that Paul refers to. Now, here's what you need to understand. When you read the Bible and you know that Jesus is coming back, in other words, that there is more to this than what we experience in this life, it produces something in you called hope, okay? Now, that is the thermostat. Now, here's what I want you to see. Hope by itself can do certain things because, listen, you can't mix faith with that hope and cause it to come to pass any sooner. Why? Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, but the Father, that Jesus is coming back. But there are some things that you can receive hope for and then mix it with something called faith and cause it to be released into your life. Are are you tracking with me? Okay. Now, let's talk about hope just a little bit more. Here's something I want you to write down. Hope is seeing what can't be seen. Hope is seeing what can't be seen. So um, if I was to ask you again, uh, you know, are, are you going out to eat after church? Well, what I just did when I said those words is some of you, your mind already went to you're sitting at the table. Getting hungry. (laughs) And so what you begin to do is you begin to build a hope on the inside of you that I hope the pastor doesn't go very long so we can get to the restaurant pretty quick if you're going to eat out because I'm hoping to get there as quickly as I possibly can. All right, so what you began to do is you began to see yourself experiencing something you're not yet experiencing. Am I right? Okay. See, isn't it something that we do this all the time, but when you start relating it to spiritual things, people go, "Uh," put the brakes on and go, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 we do this all the time. All right. Now, anybody ever heard the phrase, and there's an old song called the anchor holds. Okay. Anybody know what the anchor is? Nope. The Bible calls hope is your anchor. Let me show you. All right. Let me write this down before we look at the verse. Hope keeps us centered and is like an anchor that steadies us when the winds of circumstances or the opinions of man blow. All right. Anchor for your soul is hope. All right, some of you aren't sure, so let's look at it in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. It says this from the Passion Translation. You know why I'm reading from this translation? Because I'm passionate about it, okay? It's just a joke. All right. So it is impossible for God to lie. You know, we could stop right there, 
turn off the lights and say, man, we heard a big truth right there. It is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. I know that's a lot of words, but what, what the Bible is telling us is that hope is designed to center and focus your soul, not your spirit, your soul. What is, what is your soul made up of? Your mind, your will, and your emotions, okay? So hope is designed to anchor your soul, all right? Now, keep tracking with me, all right? Now, write this down, please. We need a strong sense of hope because faith, and this is where we kind of made a mistake a little bit, faith only gives substance to what hope has already seen. I'm going to say that again. We need a strong sense of hope because faith only gives substance to what hope has already seen. See, the Lord spoke to me in, in the last couple of months, I don't remember the exact day, in talking about limiting him, he said, you already have faith present in your heart, but you haven't given your faith anything to work with. So here's what, what I would submit to you is that a lot of us, we try and develop our faith, and we should, but we don't give our faith anything to work with, okay? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, all right? Um, <clears throat> we, we quoted this last week, uh, and actually I forgot to put it on a slide, but I'll read it to you. Now, faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So let me read that again. Faith is the substance of, did I put it on your notes? Hebrews 11, one's not on your notes? I must have fallen asleep when I was doing that or something. Anyway, Hebrews 11, one, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen, okay? So here's the process. According to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith will not do anything unless it first has hope to work with. Now, now let's, let's kind of build this back up. Hope is seeing something I haven't yet experienced yet. You remember talking about Din Din here a little bit? All right, so... What hope does is it gives me a mental image of something I haven't yet experienced. But what my faith does is faith takes that hope and puts substance with it so that it can come to pass. 
Let me illustrate it this way. Remember that thermostat has no ability on its own to change the temperature. But it's connected to something on the outside that does. And if I go over there and I adjust that thermostat and say, I want it to be 68 degrees in this room because it's cold outside, then if, if that thermostat is not hooked up to anything outside, I don't care how much I pace the floor, pray in tongues, cast out the devil, there is nothing going to happen in this room. Why? Because all I did was activate the thermostat. But if, I, if that thermostat is connected to the power source and the machinery that has the ability to do something, then when I change the thermostat, then something happens and it goes to work to begin to change my environment. So when you and I go to the Word of God and we find in the Bible something that God says is ours, you know, let me, we'll talk about this more in just a minute, but 1 Peter 2.24, who in his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness and by his stripes you were healed. Okay? Now we just read in that earlier scripture, God cannot lie. So if he says by his stripes, I am healed, then what that verse does when I see it, it causes a spark of hope on the inside of me, okay? In other words, it begins to produce an image of healing in my thinking. Now track with me. That by itself has nothing or is not capable of producing and releasing healing in my body. But if I mix it with faith and allow my faith to give substance to that hope, then the power gets released, the machinery kicks on, if you will, and it will begin to change my environment. Are you following me? Okay, I'm, I'm not getting too deep for you, am I? Okay, so Faith gives substance to what we hope for. It births the things we see in our imaginations. Okay? If we don't conceive something in our hearts in hope first, faith cannot produce it. Now, I, 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 I wish I, could, I, I had a whole lot of time and I could reemphasize some things that I said last week. Okay, but I'll just say this to you. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for uh, imagination is the Hebrew word yetzer. It's spelled Y-E-S-E-R. You remember us talking about that? But it's pronounced yetzer, like it's got a T in it. And one of the definitions uh, uh, or translations of that particular Hebrew word is it means mind, it means imagination, and it means conception. Okay, and you remember I said that God has created you with the ability to have an imagination and with that imagination, you can allow some things to be conceived on the inside of you. You remember that? Okay, all right. So what happens is 
Your imagination or your hope, I'm going to use that interchangeably, is what activates your faith. If you are believing for healing in your physical body, but yet you haven't paused to see yourself healed, you don't have a faith problem. You have a thermostat problem. Are you hearing me? Okay. I'm telling you, I, I want you to, <laughs> I, want, I want so badly for you to get what I'm telling you. And I'm going to illustrate it why in just a second. All right, but I want you to get what we're talking about because I believe this is a huge key. Unless you first begin to hope, and you remember hope is using your imagination in, in line with God's word in a positive way, the power unit of faith will never cut on. So in other words, a lot of us have been trying to use our faith, but we haven't been turning on the thermostat. Okay, now what do I mean by that? You remember me telling you that one of the ways that I was limiting God where our church was concerned, you remember I, I shared this, uh, this testimony with you, is that what God corrected me on was the fact that I was never allowing myself to imagine myself successfully successful in ministry uh, because of just a lot of things, a lot of contributing factors. And so what I would do is I would always keep a ceiling on what I could see God doing through our church. Part of it was I had been warned early on not to get caught up in pride. Uh, you know, I've been around several ministers that had gotten caught up in pride and got messed up and blew up their ministries. I've seen churches collapse and fall apart because of the pastor and the leader getting caught up in pride and, and, and other things. And, and so what, what that did is over time, shaped an image, and I love God too much, I love people too much, that I didn't want that to happen here in our church. So what I did is I said, I'll control this, and, and, and I won't allow myself to see us going but a certain point. And, and, and so what I did is I, I kept a ceiling on what God wanted to do. In other words, I was limiting God because I could never see God doing something spectacular through our church. It's not your fault. It was my fault. Okay? So what I did is I was trying to use my faith, but I had no hope present. You know, you'll hear a pastor talking about vision or another a minister talking about having vision. Really, when you boil it down, vision is hope. In other words, God begins to reveal to me what he wants to see happen in our church. And so what it does is it produces hope. Now, what God wants me to do is to grow that, nurture that, feed it, and then cause it to become so big in my thinking that it becomes birthed in my heart, conceived in my heart, rather. And then what I can do is use my faith, convey that to you, and you use your faith, and we believe God, and we see that come to pass. Now, I'm going to say this again, uh, just because I need to say it again, not because y'all didn't get it, but when I was first called to the ministry in 1979, 
I saw myself. I had a vision of myself preaching and teaching the word of God to thousands of people. Now, see, part of you would say, well, you know, uh, that's just you. Okay. Well, no, it's not because it's not anything I wanted to do. I didn't sit around and dream that up. In other words, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid. Okay, then I wanted to be a pilot, and then, you know, so forth and so on. But God interrupted all that. You know, I was having a conversation this morning. We were talking about military careers. I am quite convinced that had I not known I was called into the ministry, I would have gone into the military and worked a full career in the military like my brother did um, because my, I mean, you know, you can't beat it. My brother retired at 50-something uh, and would never have to work another day in his life you know, he's set, in other words, and it's a great investment, not to mention a great opportunity for, to be able to serve our country. But so, you know, I had other plans. I had other things, and God began to deal with me along those lines. But I would not allow myself to go beyond a certain point and dream big. And because I did that, I limited what God was able to do and wanted to do in our church. Now, and I'll be honest with you, okay? People that are successful, driven people, leadership, material people, they won't stick around for that very long, okay? They want to follow somebody who dreams big, okay? All right, I'm just being real. Turn to somebody and say, he being real, okay? All right, so what I had to do and what I have been going to do is begun to see us successful. See me successful. Now, here's what I had to do, is I had to roll the care of that over on the Lord and trust that he can reel me back in if I start to get out of line and start letting pride. See, what I was doing, I was trying to be my own God. In other words, God, I got this pride thing. I'll take care of it. I'll watch that. You just do whatever, and I'll make sure that I don't get beyond a certain point. In other words, I'll shut the door on pride before it ever the opportunity ever opens up. Instead of allowing God and trusting God that he has prepared me over the last 40-plus years to be where he wants me to be, and I'm safeguarded against that. Am I helping anybody this morning? Okay. Because, listen, I got news for you. This ain't just for preachers. This is for you. I got news for you. Everybody look at me for just a moment. You're limiting God and God wants to take you further than you could possibly ever imagine. There are businesses on the inside of you. There are opportunities on the inside of you. There are things that God wants you to accomplish. And if you don't take the limits off, you never will accomplish them. Well, we're taking the limits off, aren't we? I said, we're taking the limits off, aren't we? Okay, all right, so what we need to do is we need to allow this hope to be developed on the inside of us so that faith can be added to it and faith will release the power of God into the situation. I'm going to say this again. And listen, I know most of these people. I've, I've met them. I'm not close friends. But, you know, I have to, I have to uh, you know, when I look at Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church, I can't get mad at them. Because he's got a worldwide ministry and they have a worldwide 
you know, and they're ministering to tens of thousands of people every week. I can't get mad at them. I can't get mad at Joel Osteen because at one time he had the, the largest church meeting in person in the United States. I can't get mad at them. I can't go to God and say, you know what, God, it's not fair. It's not fair that you took a young man. I, I'm 19, well, 17 years older than Stephen Furtick is. I've been around the block a little bit more than he has. You know, this little pipsqueak comes around here in Charlotte, and he and his wife and eight families move to Charlotte, and they start this church, and all of a sudden, you know, and, and overnight it seemed like it blew up, and, and, and God's just doing, uh, you know, I can't get mad about that. There are pastors that do, but I can't get mad at that because I have to step back and I have to say, the Scripture says God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't love Stephen Furtick and Holly Furtick more than he loves me. So there must be something else contributing to the, to the fact that they're able to do what they're doing and we're not. I mean, I'm just being real, okay? So what I had to come back to is the reason that they're able to do what they're doing on the scale that they're doing it is because they refuse to put limits on God. Okay, you know, when I, I, I know Joel Osteen, the reason that Joel and Victoria and Lakewood Church are reaching the numbers of people that, that they're reaching is because they, early on, took the limits off of God. And you can name every, you know, Chris Hodges at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, got 17 churches all across the state of Alabama, reaching thousands of people every weekend. Great man, been around him, met him. Why God doesn't love Chris Hodges any more than he loves us. He doesn't love Church of the Highlands any more than he loves us. It's just early on, they decided to take the limits off of God. Now, I'm a little late to the party, but we're taking the limits off of God. Okay? <laughs> Are you with me? All right, do you, do you follow? Am I making clear kind of what has brought all this about? Okay, I just want to be sure. All right, so how do, we, how do we deal with this hope thing? Well, let's write this down, please. We must do something, and when I use a word, I've taught on this a lot, but we must meditate on the Word of God until we conceive something. Now, what, what, it could be something in the written Word of God, or it could be something that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, i.e., the vision that God gave me about ministry back in 1979. That's a word from the Lord. So what I have to do and what I need to do is on a regular basis meditate on that until it conceives something on the inside of me. See, once we conceive it in our imaginations, I'm going to say something to you. This is going to sound very new agey or motivationally speaking and all that kind of stuff. This isn't a motivational speech. This is Bible, okay? Once we conceive it in our imaginations, we can receive it and experience it. Okay, thank you for those two amens. Hallelujah. Let me prove it to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, and the Amplified Bible says this, you have been regenerated, born again, not from mortal origin 
And the, the old King James says, um, from the incorruptible seed. The Amplified says, from a, uh, a seed or sperm, but from one that is immortal by the ever-living and lasting Word of God. So what he's telling us is, this book is filled with seed. And what God is desiring to do is, <clears throat> is get the seed out of here into here so that it can conceive something on the inside of you, okay? So we take the, take the seed of God's word, we plant it in our spiritual wombs and conception occurs. But how many of you know, this is naturally speaking and true spiritual, that if a woman gets pregnant 30 minutes later, she doesn't pop a baby out. Aren't you glad? <laughs> okay, that'd be interesting. But there is a waiting period involved before manifestation. In the same way that a pregnant woman has to nurture a child for nine months before she can give birth, the same thing is true spiritually. Did you know that a woman can actually experience conception naturally and for a short period of time not even know that it's happened? Do you know the same thing can happen to you spiritually? Okay, so God can conceive something on the inside of you and you're not, you're not even aware that conception has taken place for a short time, okay? Even though she may not experience any change happening as a result of that pregnancy, her child is, is no less real and she is no less pregnant, okay? Now, Let's talk about meditation for just a moment. You meditate all the time. Now, to meditate, the word means, and I'm not going to get into all this from the scripture, but the word meditate in the Bible means to mentally imagine something, okay? And you meditate all the time. You just don't realize it. You meditate on the way to work. You meditate in the car. You meditate while you're at work. You meditate even sitting in front of the TV. You meditate. Okay, now meditation is simply causing, intentionally causing your mind to stay focused on something. Okay, worry is meditation. If you're a good worrier, I got good news for you. You're a good meditator. <laughs> All right. See, worrying is thinking and seeing something that hasn't happened yet. It's exploring all the negative possibilities. You worry about your finances. You worry about your kids. You worry about your marriage. You worry all day long. And you can even sit at work and worry while you do a job. Oh, but pastor, I know the Bible says I need to meditate in the scriptures, but I don't have time to meditate in the scriptures. Did y'all hear what I just said? We got time to worry but we don't have time to meditate in the Word of God. That's because we thought meditation was this. Mm, we're sitting with our legs crossed funny. Mm, bubble gum, you know, okay? You can meditate in the Word of God all day long. You've just got to practice, okay? Let's look at a scripture. Y'all getting anything out of this? All right, I'm winding, winding up here. 
Philippians 4, 6-8, we talked about this in Wednesday nights, talking about worry. Philippians 4, 6-8, the scripture says this, be anxious for nothing. One translation says, don't worry about a thing. You know, I could do a mic drop moment right now. Again, we could pray and dismiss, and there's enough in that first little phrase to give you a plenty to work on for the next few days. Now, let me ask you a question. If the scripture says don't worry and we worry, is that sin? Okay, just thought I'd check. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any power or virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, what, this, what these three verses tell us is... You control what you think about. Okay? See, we, we, we kind of don't think that. <laughs> we think our minds just ramble on, do whatever they want to do. No, you control what you think about. Otherwise, verse 8 is, is we might as well rip it out. Just mark through it and rip it out. Take a Sharpie and just, just cover it up. Because he says, finally, brethren, uh, you think about these things, okay? The subject implied is you, all right? Now, I want to give you five steps. You know me, I'm super duper practical. I want to give you five steps on how to do this. Y'all want to know? Come back next week and I'll tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I'll give you these real quick, all right? Here's number one. Take a scripture from God's word and keep, your mind. Just keep your mind focused on it. Oops, sorry, I forgot to put it up on the screen. Take a scripture from God's Word and just keep your mind focused on it. Somebody says, I can't do that, Pastor. Well, I guess the Bible is not true. Colossians 3, 2 says this, set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. So if we didn't have the ability to do that, and the, again, the implied subject is you, you set your mind on things above. So let's say you set your mind on the Word, okay? So you find that Scripture, and you keep your mind focused on it. Now listen, you're not going to, at first, this is going to seem very unusual, particularly if you've used, been used to your mind doing something different worrying, okay? So this is going to take a conscious effort on your part, but it will become habit for you, all right? So here's number two. Imagine what that scripture would look like as a reality in your life. Imagine what that scripture would look like as a reality in your own life. Take some time and imagine it, okay? Now, uh, let's read from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 real quick. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the word of the Lord, and in his word he imagines it day and night. That's what that word meditates means. He imagines it day and night. Now, here's the result. Can I ask you a question? Is there anybody in here this morning that you would like everything you do to prosper? Okay. Is there, well, let me, let me say it another way. Is there anybody that would not? No takers. All right. Okay. So look, look, he says, this person who does this, verse three, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. It's a guarantee. Okay? Number three, think of times in your own life or others' lives who've experienced the truth of that word work. So in other words, you might have to go to somebody in the Bible or you might know a testimony of somebody that that's worked for or you have experienced that for yourself. Okay? Recall that to your mind. Think about it. Because again, God is no respecter of persons. Okay? Psalm 143 verse 5 David wrote this, he said, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. In other words, I force my mind to hash over and imagine what you've done in the past. Okay? Number four, stay with it until conception takes place in your heart. Because I promise you, it will. Stay with it until conception takes place in your heart. Meditating on that, imagining it, okay? Here's a scripture, Hebrews 6, 12 says this, don't drag your feet, be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get some things that are promised to them. Huh? Oh, did I misread that? Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get most, most things that are promised to them. Everything. Or in the country we say, everything. All right? Everything. Okay? So in other words, if I stay the course with, with my faith committed, I'm going to experience everything. Okay? And then here's the last one. Number five, thank and praise your way into manifestation. Thank and praise your way into manifestation. What did Paul say in Philippians 4, 6? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now here, I'm going to walk you through this, real, this process real quick. Okay, so let's say I'm dealing with something physical in my body, all right? So I, I find hundreds of scriptures. By the way, we have probably about 75 scriptures on our website, healing scriptures that you can go to. But, you know, just for the sake of this conversation, we'll, we'll look at that scripture I quoted earlier, 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness uh, that, and by whose stripes you were healed. I quoted it from the old King James, but 
The point is, the Scripture says, by His stripes I am healed. So if I'm dealing with pain and sickness and disease, pain or sickness and disease in my body, then what I can do is I can take that Scripture and I might just need to chew on it a little bit. By His stripes I'm healed. By His stripes I'm healed. All right? Then what I do is I begin to build hope. If it says by his stripes you were healed, you means me. And if I were healed, then I am healed. And then what I do is I begin to imagine. So whatever the condition is, what would my life look like if I wasn't experiencing that condition? Okay, and I, and I want to say this, just a little side note, this is free, this won't cost you anything. A cold is no harder for the power of God to heal than cancer. Because we have a tendency, oh, I'll take my cold to God, but oh, this cancer thing, that might be too much. No. Begin to see your body healed. All right, let's, let's go to the extreme in this. Let's say you are confined to a wheelchair. I want to ask you a question. Based on what the Word says, you know, I could look at multiple scriptures, but let's look at this one verse. Is it God's will for me to live the rest of my life in a wheelchair? Nope. Okay, so what do I need to do? I've got to find that verse, and what I've got to do is I've got to begin to see myself getting up out of that wheelchair. And imagine my life being lived out to where, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I don't have to park in the blue spaces. I don't have to look for ramps everywhere I go. I can use my legs and my feet to walk around wherever I need to go because in Jesus' name, by his stripes, I'm healed. My body being healed, I'm no longer bound to this wheelchair. And so I see myself getting up from this wheelchair. Okay? So what you're doing is you're building hope on the inside of you. Now here's what faith does. Faith takes that hope and says, Father, in the name of Jesus... Your word says, by his stripes, I am healed. So I receive my healing today in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for my healing. I thank you that I am up and out of this wheelchair in the name of Jesus, that I have full mobility of my legs. I walk and talk in the name of Jesus and I thank you for it. See, this is the thanksgiving part. I thank you for my healing, Father. I thank you for my healing, Father. And see, what you've just done is you hit the thermostat and cause the power to be activated. And so it, I can promise you, it's just a matter of time, sweetheart, before you're getting up. Let me, let me, let me use another one for you. How about Philippians 4.19? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Well, I, could, I could spend hours quoting scriptures to you about how the, the blessing of God is on your life and it is not God's will for you to live 
barely scratching by from paycheck to paycheck, never having enough. That is not the will of God for a believer. I make no apologies for saying that. Okay? So when I find out, matter of fact, we just read it from Psalm 1. If I'll do what that word says, he said everything I do will prosper. Okay? So what does my life look like if everything I'm doing prospers? Oh, pastor, I, I could never imagine that. That's just too good to be true. Welcome to the grace of God. It's too good to be true, but it's still there anyway. Hallelujah. Imagine yourself having enough to where not only all your bills are paid, but you have more than enough and you're praying and you're asking God, God, who is it you want me to help this week? You're at the grocery store going up and down the aisle. You think you're there just to pick up a can of green beans, but you're going up and down the aisle and you're just looking for somebody and the Lord will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I'll need you to buy their groceries today. Don't tell me it won't happen. I've experienced it. But you can't do that when you're barely scratching by, when, you, when, you, when everything you're doing is not prospering. I promise you, I'm telling you, if we can get a hold of these things and take the limits off of God, because here's the thing, it ain't about you. It ain't about you being able to say, hey, you know how much I've got in my bank account? You know how much I have in stocks and bonds and investments and Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff? No, it ain't about you. We don't use our, I mean, that's a benefit, okay? Am I, are, are you with me? Are you ready to take the limits off? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for the truths that we have heard from your word today and for the last few messages. Father, I'm so grateful that you love me enough and that you, 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 you love me enough as not only for who I am as an individual, but who I am as a pastor of this church to deal with me to take the limits off of what you want to accomplish in this place. Father, I thank you. It is not your will for us to stay small. It is your will for us to grow. It is your will for us to reach multitudes with the Word of God. Matter of fact, it is your will for us to saturate this city with the Word of the living God. And so, Father, we purpose in our hearts to take the limits off of you. And I just declare that each person under the sound of my voice, either in this room right now or listening to this later, in Jesus' name, there is more for you to accomplish. There is more for you to walk in. There is more for you to receive if you will just take the limits off of God. So, Father, we purpose to do that today. And we declare this is a new day. That January the 29th, 2023, that, Father, it, this is a brand new day, a day that we're beginning to experience what a limit-free Heavenly Father can do in our lives. We thank you for it, Lord. 
We praise you for it, Father. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.